I have a mentor who once told me, don't let life happen to you. Take control of it. And that was really, really helpful advice at a time when I was just feeling really lost and letting whatever occur. You have the power to go where you want to go and do what you want to do. You just have to be willing to raise your hand and ask and step up and take those things. Welcome to the Sales Prescription Podcast with Ron Halbert and Rusty Jensen. You know, there are all kinds of problems that can prevent you from being successful personally and professionally. And we are here to write you some highly effective and broad spectrum sales prescriptions. And all you have to do is fill them. You know, today we have a great guest with us, which is Zoe Hartsfield. She's the head of community at Speckit. So you've been in the SaaS and marketing world for many years now. Started in sales development, you moved to the marketing side, which gives you great perspective and really good balance. So tell us a little bit more about you and what motivates you. Yeah, of course. So yeah, early days, sales development, learned the skill of prospecting. I would tell anyone that sales development is one of the hardest jobs you can have in the SaaS space. It's a real grind. However, I'm incredibly grateful for that experience because I think it set me up really well for what I do now. My two biggest drivers are probably the chip on my shoulder and my motivation to help others succeed. And I think that there's a lot to be gleaned from the sales development role to help you do those things. And I think it set me up really well to become a marketer because not everybody thinks that marketing and sales goes hand in hand, but some of the best, most successful revenue teams that I know have really, really tightly aligned marketing and sales teams. And so to be a marketer with a sales background and understand that world, I feel like, especially in my role in community, I'm able to support that mission of one team, one pipeline that much better. And so, yeah, that's a little bit about my background. And I feel really lucky to be in this position. It's kind of like the perfect role for me. I get to just talk to people every day and help our BDR set meetings. And it's the dream. I think it's awesome. I, I love interviewing people that have progressed from sales development, obviously, because I run sales development organizations. But uh, I also love when they go outside of the traditional route. You always hear about people that move up to become an account executive. That seems to be the common role that they go from sales development. But in my career over the last 10 plus years running sales development organizations, I can tell you that that's not the only route to go. There's a lot of places that you can progress your career in. Um, we just actually had somebody last month that promoted to product marketing from mm. sales development. So, wow. um, so if you're in sales development today, it doesn't mean you're locked in to any specific route. Make sure you're keeping your eyes open and seeing what's out there. Uh, There's just great fundamental skills mm-hmm. that can apply everywhere. Yeah, I mean, like starting conversations with strangers, that's like a good life skill to have. I think about how sales development set me up to run my side business. I would not be able to do that if I didn't know how to take an inbound lead and convert it or, you know, like set myself my own meetings. It's just insane. That's awesome. And Zoe, in some of your thought leadership posts and in some of the content that you've been creating, we've seen this concept of enabling up. So when you're giving advice and you're coaching salespeople and sales developers around personal growth, you talk about this concept of enabling up. Can you talk through that idea for us? Yeah. So Credit to my friend, Keegan Otter. He is the head of sales development at a company called Sendlane. He was the first person to say that term to me. And it really clicked because early days when I was in SDR, I was at a company that didn't have a dedicated enablement team. So we didn't have resources. In fact, we were the first, there were four of us 
pioneering the outbound motion in mid-market and enterprise. So we were writing our own copy. We were solving our own problems. We were creating our own sequences. Like we had to figure it all out for ourselves. And that was pretty true across the board in terms of like any resource, any career development, anything. I was doing it for myself. And I am really thankful that I learned how to do that because it served me really well and it's helped me progress faster than a few of my peers because I took my career into my own hands. And there's a couple of different ways that that played out for me. I think the first time I really noticed it was I was probably six months into the SDR role, crushing my number, bored out of my mind. And I was ready for the next thing and there was nothing next. It was before we had made that outbound motion. I was an inbound SDR or there were only inbound SDRs and we had just hired on a new rep. And I noticed that all of our onboarding was wildly outdated. So I asked my manager, I said, hey, Jazz is onboarding. Can I help her onboard? And like, while we're doing that, can we just re-record some of this training? Because like, we don't even use XYZ tool anymore. Why is she watching a 45 minute video on it? And he was like, yes, please. I don't have time for this. Take it and run. And like, I'll review it afterwards. And so we got to do that. We got to practice it. I got to kind of test some of the things that I had learned as a rep and see if I could replicate those results with another person. And the more exciting thing about it is she got so good and got to be a part of that process that she then got to train the next rep that onboarded. And so it was like this perpetuating thing. Onboarding was updated. And that was my first real experience in like taking my career into my own hands, taking enablement into my own hands. I'm really lucky to work at a company right now that is literally an enablement tool. And we have an incredible enablement team. And so our SDRs are so set and it's Mm -hmm. amazing. But I'm really thankful for that experience because now I know how to do that in any role. I know how to look for those things. And well, one, one of the things that you're you're explaining is something that we addressed in a previous episode. We talked about how to get promoted mm. and really how to progress in your career. I love what you say. You take ownership of your career. Mm. But there is that point you get to in your job where you just become really good at it. And it, it doesn't matter the level of complexity. At some point, you get really good at your job and you start getting bored. <laughs> yeah. And you start taking time back. And most people take that time back to then invest in their own personal time. Mm-hmm. Right, watching YouTube, doing something they want to do, hanging out, having fun, doing what but they don't necessarily invest in building their career like you did. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect example of what people should be doing to help themselves progress. It's awesome. Yeah. Another previous episode, we talked about being a piece of driftwood. Randy Littleson on that episode mentioned, you don't want to be a piece of driftwood that's just floating down the river mm. and being forced any way that the water takes you, right? Mm. There, there are actually highly successful people that are driftwood. Yeah, They are very successful at what they're doing, but they're just going down the path that the world's taking them. They're not taking that ownership. Yeah. Those people got lucky finding the right current, but I have a mentor who once told me, don't let life happen to you. Like take control of it. And that was really, really helpful advice at a time when I was just feeling really lost and letting whatever occur. So I think it's important for anyone to recognize, like you have the power to go where you want to go and do what you want to do. You just have to be willing to raise your hand and ask and like step up and take those things. And I think there's like a couple of things in particular, specifically in enabling up that I really go back to. And that's like tools, techniques, 
and external resources and making sure that you are investing time in all three as an individual, whether your company is providing you with them or not. Hmm. I love that. So mentioning those three things, tools, techniques, and external resources, let's talk about tools first. Mm -hmm. What are you talking about? Because I'm assuming you're not just implying tools in the sense of Salesforce, Outlook, Zoom. You're talking about something else tools that many people may not be aware aware of that can be kind of a game changer for them personally. Walk us through some of those. Totally. Well, when you're in SDR, I don't know about you all, but I did not have any individual budget. There was no like, Zoe gets $500 a month to buy whatever tools she wants. So you are Mm -hmm. either spending your own money or you need things that are free. So Mm -hmm. when I talk about these tools, I usually try and pick things that are either incredibly inexpensive or totally free. Uh, But there are things that you can add onto your tech stack that are going to level up your game. The number one thing that I recommend to people is some sort of grammar assistant. So whether or not you're using Grammarly or my favorite tool is Lavender. My friends, the Wills over at Lavender um, made this like email copywriting AI assistant. So it's going to score you on things like tone, readability, uh, length of sentences and give you a score like out of 100 and so I write emails even now. I'm not even an SDR anymore. And I'll write emails and score it in Lavender to make sure it's a 90 or above so that I know that I'm going to get a reply. And that's their whole thing is helping you get replies. Because at the end of the day, we're all writing these emails. Some people are provided copies. Some people aren't. But you're trying to set meetings. You're trying to start conversations. And if you are writing these four paragraph long emails, no one's going to read it. And so having something that can help you with syntax, with spelling, but also just with your overall tone. How do you sound? Do you sound conversational? Do you sound annoying? Do you sound boring? It's nice to have something that's going to give you that feedback. So that's like number one. And those tools are either free or very inexpensive. And can I say, there was a sales developer that we were working with at one time. And it was one of those situations that became very embarrassing for our leadership team. (laughs) So because he had gone out and he was really, really fast, just kind of wildly writing emails and, yeah. and things. Sends this email to this customer. And this customer read this email and was just like, I have to do something about this. It was so bad from a grammar standpoint. <laughs> the prospect felt the need to deliver some personal coaching, oh, no. not just to the company, but to our CEO. Found the CEO. Oh, my gosh. Sent the email and said, is this how you want to represent your company? And it was just like, you know, crazy stuff like, okay, hey, you know, if you guys want to chat with us, you know, maybe you can you can talk to us here at in contact and they spelled it wrong. And oh, it was no. awful. <laughs> it was awful. That was that was not a good experience. Oof. Yeah. That's so brutal. <laughs> like I I just think there's a balance, right? You want to be conversational. There is also an element of still remaining a professional. So I I have used a, a GIF or like a meme in an email before, but if you're spelling people's names wrong or their company wrong or mm. misremembering their title, if you have just horrendous grammar, or if you're using really, really big words that nobody cares about to try and sound really smart, like that's the other end of the spectrum that is going to turn people off. So it's just finding that sweet spot of, can I write a thing that somebody's going to read and be like, yep, you get a reply. That's it. Very cool. So I think that's like baseline where I would start. Number two, a video tool. I'm a big believer in video for a number of reasons. Number one, my early days SDR career, I was selling a video tool. And so I learned how to prospect with video. But there's something inherently human about 
using video. Like when you put a face to the name, when somebody sees your face, there's actually something psychologically that releases oxytocin in your brain. So when you see another human face smiling at you, it creates a positive response. So you're already starting off on a better foot than just like a wall of text. You can say more in a video in perceived less time. And so I used to send people little 20, 30 second videos saying like, hey, Zoe here, just want to put a face to the name, say, you know, thank you so much for connecting with me here on LinkedIn. Don't be a stranger, reach out anytime. So I would use that as like a connection follow-up. I would use it as a first email touch sometimes. And I like video because it is personal, but also scalable and it's can be relevant without being perfectly personalized. So you could use it on more than one person, depending on like, if you do it by persona, if you do it by problem or something like that. So video is essential. And I would use a tool like a Vidyard or a Loom, which all have free versions. BombBomb's another good one. It's paid, but pretty inexpensive. And so just having a video tool on deck in your arsenal for LinkedIn DMs, emails. You could even text them sometimes. Although I don't know how many SDRs are texting prospects these days. I used to all the time, but, uh, yeah, just putting a face to the name, creating that human element. It's, it's really an advantage and you're still going to stand out because a lot of people still aren't doing it. I would say probably on almost every conversation we have about sales and sales development is that idea of humanizing mm-hmm. yourself. And I can tell you, I've seen many of these video prospecting or prospecting approaches and they're always something that catch my attention. I want to see what this person is saying. So it's, it's also something the you want to see to get adoption for. Yes. Right. So like sales developers, a lot of them hate it. <laughs> Not just like, I don't think it works, whatever. They hate to do it. Like creating the videos themselves. They just really struggle with being able to see themselves on camera. Right. It's, it's scary to put yourself out there like that. But if it means more of those green pieces of paper in your wallet, why not? Ooh, okay. So really, really quick pause. If you are a sales development person listening to this right now, here's your your motivation for this and some tips I will give you. Number one, don't watch your video back ever. Unless you know for sure you like messed up the company name, messed up their name, the ums, the likes, that's just how people talk. You are communicating. It's okay. I would leave it. Number two, keep it 60 seconds or less. Honestly, keep it 30 seconds or less if you can. Mm. Very conversational very quick. When I see somebody says like, oh, this is a 30 second video. I'm like, I've got 30 seconds. I can watch a video. If somebody says this is a three and a half minute video, you don't get my three and a half minutes. I don't have enough time for that. So keep it brief. And then finally be yourself. Talk to the camera like you would talking to somebody on Zoom. We have all been remote at some point in the last couple Mm -hmm. of years. You know how to talk to a camera on Zoom. This person isn't staring back at you, but they are going to be watching it later. So just pretend like you're on Zoom, it makes it so much easier. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so we talked about grammar. We talked about video, which of course is one of my faves. But uh, this one I feel like is overlooked. Get yourself a mental health app. If you are in sales, you need some kind of like meditation, mental health app, like whatever floats your boat. Cold calling is stressful as heck. And I used to Like if I got hung up on or yelled at by a VP, which by the way, I'm really curious to hear from you all. Do you ever yell at SDRs for cold calling you? No. (laughs) Um, I can be stern. Okay. If they're like terrible at it, maybe. Yes. Well, especially when, you know, we don't follow the right approaches in a pitch to be able to essentially earn the right to have a conversation. 
they ignore it and just jump right into the pitch mm-hmm. or they're overly persistent. Yeah. They will feel I think the very people that are most angry mm-hmm. are people that have never made a phone call. Or haven't in like I cold called for two years, Zoe. <laughs> okay. So I so I know the pain. Yeah. Um, and I actually appreciate when people call me because this is an interesting fact, something that I've measured for the last eight years or so. Mm-hmm. I have not had the same person call me more than once, but three times in eight years. Huh. To sell me something. Interesting. Do they just not have long sequences? I guess they just don't dial on all their sequences. I don't know what's going on, but it's a strange thing. And I actually pay attention to this, obviously, because I run sales development. So Mm. I pay close attention to when people are selling to me and I I watch the sequences as they go along and I'll, and I even answer my phone a lot of times, but people do not call me more than one time in a sequence. It's strange. That is fascinating. I I just remember being just scary. (laughs) Maybe. So intimidating. I remember being an SDR and calling a VP of sales at a target account. And he was like, he was swearing at me. He was like, how dare you bother me at three o'clock on a Friday? Like, I don't have time for this, whatever. And he called me a name and then he hung up the phone. And I kid you not, two days later, one of his reps cold called my VP in the afternoon on a Friday. And I was like, what? How is this a thing? Like, how are you coaching your reps to do the exact same thing and like chastising me? So I just think it's funny how quickly people forget that like they were once a rep. And I totally get it if I had like blown the pitch or was like being really annoying. But it was the first time I had called him. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was interesting. But the moral of the story is you're gonna have bad calls. People are gonna hang up on you. People are gonna call you names sometimes. People are going to be really rude in their email responses to you. And it is hard to go into the next dial when you're in that headspace. So having access to an app that can let you just like take a deep breath for a minute. Like there's this one called Headspace that I've used. Um, Calm. I know there are free ones as well. But just like taking two seconds to reset is going to make that next call good because you're one more dial closer to a yes after you get a no. And the other thing too is if you get demoralized, if you don't feel right, if your attitude's not in the right place, what will happen to you is that you will, everything will permeate through you. Mm-hmm. The way you talk, your your intonations, your paraverbal communication, like even your, your posture, everything is affected by how you feel in your attitude. If you can straighten that out, it will literally straighten out 80% of your communication layer. It's it's awesome. It's really crazy. And like one bonus thing I would add is just like keeping a running dock. Like I'm very lucky. I work at Speckett. Speckett does this for me, but keeping a running dock of things that work. So this isn't necessarily a tool unless you have something like Speckett or like an enablement piece, having something where this was a win. I did this and it worked and jotting it down so that you can try it again, because being able to test and iterate, you had a great video script. Awesome. This meditation app made me feel better after this terrible call. I'm going to use that one again next time. Document whatever you can that's working for you because it is going to be easier and quicker to turn over that success the more you know what works and what doesn't. I love it. So Zoe, for reps to really set themselves apart, Mm -hmm. they need to apply the right technique. Mm -hmm. They need to learn the right way to do things. And so when you're coaching reps and you're helping them to set themselves up for success, what kind of techniques do you recommend? What kind of coaching do you give there? Yeah, I will... I'll boil it down to three like core tenants that just helped me a ton. Um, Number one is going to be time blocking. So blocking off 
batches of activity. It is really hard when you're context switching throughout the day. So I used to start my day with the worst part of my day, which was always cold calling. And um, I would do an hour and a half of cold calls and I would try and get in my 50, 60, however many dials in that block. And I would time block it green because I knew that I was going to make money if I made those dials. And then I would go to emails and I would record videos. And then I would go to updating my notes in Salesforce. And then maybe I would do another call block in the afternoon. But set yourself your blocks and stick to them. And time block breaks. If I did not time block breaks, I would not take a break. And I would find myself just trashed at the end of the day, like after staring at a computer screen for seven and a half hours straight, and my eyes hurt, and I no longer remember what I sell, I'm like, oh, I probably should have taken a 15 at some point in the day. So just being really diligent about time blocking. And there's color psychology. You You can Google. There's like a way to organize your time blocks and literally color the blocks so that it makes the most sense for that activity. Uh, and I would encourage you to look that up, but it is a game changer and stick to it. Don't just put it on your calendar, like commit to those blocks and find a buddy who's willing to do those time blocks with you because there's probably somebody else on your team who could benefit from a call blitz and you guys can just do it together. And it gets, it gets you into a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Right. And I want to, I want to say this to my reps listening. <laughs> I did not pay Zoe to say that. Oh. <laughs> okay, she came up with that on her own. Um, but I learned I, it the hard way, but I 100% <laughs> agree. Um, it's just too hard. It's too hard to stay organized unless you time block, unless you plan the time to call. I can't tell you how many times I reach out to a rep. It's 4 PM and I'm asking like, Hey, you have four calls today. What's going on? And like, Oh, I've just gotten so busy. I've been so busy by 4 PM. I've only made four phone calls cause I've I've been so busy. Busy doing and clearly, what? <laughs> clearly, you didn't time block, right? I have my uh, <laughs> my favorite quote from the office space is the, uh, what exactly would you say you do here, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, like, that's your job, right? The job is to make cold calls. But honestly, like you can get caught up talking to your AE. You can get caught up in a, you know, on the same day that I have a couple AE one-on-ones, I might have my one-on-one with my manager. I might be prepping for each of those calls. I might be adding some stuff from Zoom Info into my sequences, I, whatever, right? Like you can get caught up doing things. And honestly, you you don't like to call. Like uh, I've heard people say, oh, I love to cold call. That person's few and far between. Yeah. And because you don't like to do it, you're actually going to find things to do before you do it. It's kind of like when I'm cleaning my home, right? There's certain things I hate to clean and there's certain things I don't mind. I don't mind doing the dishes. Hmm. So the first thing I'm going to do is the dishes because I don't mind doing it, but I hate cleaning toilets, especially my, my son's toilet. He's eight years old and he needs some aim help. Right. (laughs) And so that's the last thing I want to do. So I, I leave it till last, you know, it's not the first thing I'm knocking out. Same with cold calls, right? So not necessarily the first thing you want to do. If you don't time block, you're going to struggle to get to it. Have you ever heard that phrase, eat the frog? Yeah. Like do the worst part of your day, knock it out in the beginning. Eat the frog. Eat the frog. No, but I, I'm a fan. Yeah. It's like (laughs) frogs are gross. Who wants to eat a frog? We'll get it done early and then it's done. Get the worst part of your day out of the way. And I'm curious, do you all have, do your reps have territories? Are they like broken up by like? SDRs do, his do, his do, the inside sales reps do. Yeah. Okay. Basically named account yeah. territories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, like I had the East Coast when I was a rep, but I lived in mountain time. So I used to get in at 6.30 and do all my dials before anybody else even got into the office. And then I was done with it. And wow. it was 
wonderful. What's it like to be up that early? I don't think I've ever done <laughs> what that before. Is it like? I love, I love, I'm an early person too. You know that. But, yeah. I was up at four this morning. I'm tired. <laughs> wow. That's like, that's I have a monster. Like. We, we brought, we brought Zoe a monster. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why we, why I drink so many of these. <laughs> it's keeping yeah. you awake. Yeah. <clears throat> it's very cool. Yeah. So I would say time blocking is definitely number one. And it's the easiest one to do. So if there's one thing you take away from this entire podcast, just start time blocking your day, whether you're a rep or not, time block your day. Number two, if you are in sales, is know your meeting math or know your close math. So if I'm an SDR, I look at my last month. My quota was 10. I hit 10. I did 3,000 activities last month. I know it took me 300 activities to hit one meeting. So I want to hit President's Club next month. I want to pace 120% of quota. I am going to up that 3000 by 20%, which I'm not that great at math. I think that's like 600. Uh, so 3,600 activities is what I'm going to do the following month. I'm going to break that up day by day. Now I know exactly how many activities I'm going to do during the day. And you can go even further and break it up by like calls, emails, etc. What I used to do is I would break it out and say, okay, how many meetings am I booking off an email? How many meetings am I booking off a cold call? If I'm booking eight or nine of my 10 meetings off emails and one off a cold call, doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing cold calls, but it means I'm going to double down on my emails because that is the faster way for me to up my meetings. And so I, early days, the easiest way for me to book more meetings was just to create more output. The more you do that, the more you learn what's working and what's not that's when you can get more efficient. That's when you can get uh, a little more dialed in and you know, you'll find yourself in a few months hitting 120% of quota, doing 2000 activities in a month because you're just getting better and you're honing your craft. But like knowing your meeting math, doing it every single month, I do it on the last day of the month. So I'm ready for the first day of the next month. And again, I up it by 20% because I want to pace president's club. And I do that every single month. And that was how I did it when I was a rep. I love that. And and I want to add something to that because there's been a lot of research done. In fact, Salesloft did a combined research uh, thing with, with serious decisions. And one thing that they discovered is you are going to set the vast majority of your meetings as a result of an email response initially. Mm-hmm. However, an email, when coupled with a voicemail, has a 356% higher likelihood of a response. So when you make a phone call and follow it up with an email, your response rate over more than triples. It's more likely that it will that will happen. So I wouldn't look too much into the, well, I'm scheduling all my stuff through emails. I get told that by reps all the time. I've never set an appointment for it via a cold call, right? But the reason they respond to your email is not because that one email was so good. It's it's the cadence or the sequence that drives them to that initial response. That's also another another fact that came out of that same study is most responses happen between steps six and nine mm. in the sequence or cadence. Six or nine, right? They also stated if you go more than three business days without some contact, it's the same as starting over, right? All these things tie together. It's not because one one channel is vastly better than another channel. It's you tying the channels that make a successful. And as a rep, you have to know your numbers. Mm -hmm. As you say, you have to know how many calls, emails, activities apply against your base of leads and contacts. You also have to know how well they convert Mm -hmm. and you have to actively work as you block out time to do research 
to identify better accounts, and you have to actively work as you block out time to prospect to ensure that you're engaging and hitting those accounts consistently. And then, and then you can improve your numbers. But if you don't know your numbers, you, you have no goal. You're, you're aiming at nothing. 100%. And I think like if you want to go like level up on all of this. So here was my best multi-threaded approach. You want to make sure that people see your face and know your name. It is about familiarity. That's how you're going to win the response. If they have no clue who you are, if they have no clue who your company is, if they have no clue what you do, the odds of you getting a reply are virtually zero. So what I used to do, and it was about step five that I think this started. So I would call, I would leave a reverse voicemail that sounded something like, What's up, Ron? Zoe here from BombBomb. Let's be honest, you're not going to give me a call back. So I'm going to send you a video voicemail. Instead, I will see you in your inbox. And then I would hang up. And then immediately send them a video, something relevant and personalized to Ron, 30 seconds long, compelling enough to hopefully get a reply. And I would link my, it, it was the video tool that I had, just had a meeting link in it. I would book, I would say 30 to 40% of my meetings on that step. Every time. And it's because of that voicemail, then email touch. You've got the research. You've got, it's all working together for you. But it was after, to your point, multiple touches. I've, t- I've called them before. I've sent them at least one other email. Maybe it was a text email. I have connected with them on LinkedIn. They've seen my name. They've now seen my face. They heard me say this. I had somebody from my very biggest account reply to me after that voicemail. They were like, you're right, Zoe. I was never going to call you back. But because of that voicemail, I opened this email and I kind of loved it. So like, yeah, let's talk on Friday. And I was like, oh, it's amazing. It works. So People don't call people back. This is 2022, guys. This I don't is- even listen to my voicemails. I read them. Yeah. My iPhone reads them to me. I don't think I've listened to a voicemail in like three years. <laughs> Do you read them though? Do you read the transcripts? I'm really bad. I don't even read my emails. <laughs> Most people do. Rusty is Rusty's a special case. I think at least I, I can say this. When it's multiple voicemails from the same number, from the same person, I definitely get it, it's definitely noticeable. Yeah. Right. And that's and being recognizable mm-hmm. takes time. Yeah. You know, and everybody's so focused on crafting the perfect email. Oh, it has to include these elements and it has to be so perfect. It's all about it's the frequency of reach out that gets responses more so than, I mean, you do need to have decent emails. You don't want them to be crappy, right? but it's the, it's the frequency. That well, cause you got to remember like people who are VPs that are running large organizations and have to triage information. I, I can't read every email and carefully analyze. I can't, I have to triage information. I have to look for what's relevant fast. I have to look at my phone. I have to get, I mean, I'll have 15 text messages at the end of the day. That's, that's the smallest cue. So that repetition and hitting from every angle. And if I hear something like, like, Hey, just trying to reach out to you. I'll see you in your inbox. <clears throat> like what you said, Zoe, it's like, wow, she's done this before. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that to your point, people spend way too much time crafting the perfect email and they spend, and in my opinion, waste time personalizing when they really should be focusing on relevance. And there's a difference. Personalization is, we went to the same university, like go Eagles, whatever. Like <laughs> n- that doesn't have any meaning for my day-to-day job. If I'm a VP of sales, I've never been a VP of sales, so I don't actually can't say this with total confidence, but like I care about my number, care about my team's number. I care that we have pipeline. I care that we are pacing towards quota. Like I'm worried about 150 other things. I don't care that we went to the same university to be totally honest. But if you tell me, hey, do you know what John 
James and Ryan are up to. And those are the names of three of your top reps. You're probably going to open that email mm-hmm. because you're like, well, what do you mean? What are John's, John James and Ryan up to? What you have know? they done now? What have they done now? Like, <laughs> can you leverage the right research or let's say, Hey, you just hired 30 new reps. How are you getting them to ramp faster? How are we getting them from day one to closed one in less time? That's something that's going to pique your interest more than, you know, go Eagles. And so I think there is an element of scalability that people aren't thinking through because they're so worried about hyper-personalization. When at the end of the day for me, you could send me an email that you sent to 150 other people, but if it is solving a problem that I have right now, I am booking a meeting with you today. That's the crux of it. Yeah. I mean, and again, going back to this same research and we're going to do a whole podcast around a lot of this research that was done, but it's, generally accepted that you should not be customizing more than 20% of your emails. Mm. So most people use the 10-80-10 rule. Mm. So the first 10% is custom and the last 10% is custom. The middle 80% is templated, right? And that's okay. It's okay to, to only customize 20%. You don't want to have less, you know, usually if you're trying to target, if you're trying to be specific and make sure that they realize it's not a marketing email, it's a, from a real human mm-hmm. You do want to have some customization. You just can't go over too crazy with it overall. We have one more question for you. Yeah. Zoe, as we kind of wrap up this podcast that I think is really relevant to anybody that's listening. And once a rep has kind of taken the time to develop their skills, mm-hmm. they've gone outside the box, they've had to grow and enhance their skills or listen to a lot of the advice that you have. You know, it's a shame to me that people, when they've developed that real great base of skill set, that they single thread themselves into a career path. Mm. They say, I need to go from SDR to AE. Now that's the path, that's the plan. What if that doesn't happen? Mm. What if you don't get promoted to be an AE? What advice do you have? Yeah, I would also add, what if you don't wanna be an AE? Like that too. So don't get me wrong, if you are an SDR and you wanna be an AE, hell yeah. That is an excellent career path and very, very exciting. But If you're not sure where you want to go or it's not happening for you, say at your company, it's just like, well, we're kind of at capacity for reps. Like we don't have room for another AE, et cetera, right now. I think there's a couple different things that you can do. The first one is to definitely look inward. When I was an SDR, I knew I didn't want to be an AE. They wanted to promote me to be an AE. And I thought that sounded terrible. And so I kind of panicked. I was like, what am I supposed to do next? If I don't want to be an AE, this is it. This is the thing. This is the the career path. And so- I was really lucky to have a manager, Dan Hawkins, shout out to Dan. He was like, well, tell me what you don't want to do ever again. What about your job today? Do you hate and you want to give up? And I was like, I don't want to make a hundred dials in a day ever again. He was like, great. So maybe Nate, he would not be a good role for you at this company because they were still making cold calls and things like that. And so we started eliminating all the things that I didn't want to do, the things that didn't bring me joy, the things that felt like such a drag, the things that I hated. And then we looked at, okay, what lights you up? What gets you pumped? What are you passionate about? And I loved starting conversations with strangers and leveraging social selling to create my own inbound engine and uh, helping other SDRs succeed when I found a technique that worked. I loved trying something testing it, testing it again for myself, and then giving it to somebody else to see if I could replicate that success with another person. So those were the things that I loved. And I was like, all right, maybe leadership. Okay, maybe not. Marketing. So then I would say the third step in that equation is when you figure out what you do want to do, if it's not in your current org, 
go make best friends with the people in that department. So for me, what I did is I found people in marketing who were in entry-level roles. I met with managers. I met with the VP and I asked them like, what are the problems you're facing? What would be helpful? What would make somebody the obvious choice for this next entry-level role when it opens up in six months because so-and-so has been promoted. And I had those conversations and I worked on those things. And then the VP would send me articles and be like, what do you think about this? Or can you help me with this project? And I got to kind of dabble and I got to double down on the things. This is really important for like any rep listening. I would say this, you cannot lose the forest and the trees. Like don't be so excited about the next thing that you stop doing your job well. So what I did was I tried to make sure that whatever was like a relevant marketing skill, I was just doing more of that in my BDR role as long as it was helping me get toward my number. So I was writing more sequences. I was working on my copy skills. I was helping other reps do that as well. And I was working on social. I was leveraging social media and things like that. So make friends, work on the skills that'll help you get there so that when that role opens up in three, five, six months, you are the obvious choice. And it's a no brainer that they're like, oh yeah, we should like hit up Zoe or have her apply for that role. And that's exactly what happened for me. And then they hired me. That's awesome. I, uh, I want to add this one last thing. And that is if you are a leader listening to this, it is your job as a leader to make sure that your people are taken care of in this way. Mm. Like you should be looking for what lights people up, what makes them excited about their lives, about work and help them get into a career where they can find that. I promise you'll not find more satisfaction in your leadership career than when you help someone achieve their goals. And if that's not what drives you, you probably ought to change <laughs> positions yourself. Yep. Yep. You need to get out of leadership, right? So that's really what you should be looking for is that conversation should happen with every top performer once they reach the point of eligibility for promotion. It shouldn't be a, hey, you should go do this. It should be, what do you want to do? What what makes you excited? And, and most of the time, they don't know. I'm going to be honest. You kind of have to walk them through it. You kind of have to ask these deep questions and diagnose for them what, they want to do in their career and then help them get to that point. I call it waving your banner, mm. right? And I tell reps all the time, give me a reason to wave your banner. Give me a reason to tell other people in our organization why you are awesome, mm. because I promise you I'll do it. If you give me a reason, I promise I'll do it. I will not take your credit. I will wave your banner. I will help you get to where you want to be. And if you're a leader and listening to this, you better be the same way. You got to do it. You got to. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Zoe. We're super stoked. Um, and as always, we would love for anyone to reach out to us at the Sales Prescription Podcast. We're willing to help people. We're willing to talk to you. I'm sure you can reach out to Zoe as well. We'll, we'll make sure to post a, a link to her social so that you can reach out. She is, she is awesome. This podcast is just an example of how awesome she is. Thanks. So thanks, thanks, everybody. Thanks.